0: A few years ago, this flashy ad started making the rounds on Russian
1: YouTube.
0: They say laughter prolongs life, it begins. And there's a picture of a happy-looking guy in his 30s, all tousled hair and perfectly trimmed beard. And then an animated cloud appears over his head, one of those thought balloons from the cartoons. And in it pops two things some joints, and a pile of weed. Seconds later, there's a photograph of him grinning ear to ear and giving a big thumbs up.
1: Snoop
0: Dogg appears next to him doing the same thing.
1: It's a very short advert, but it's, I think it's really beautifully made, and you don't really need to speak Russian to understand what it's advertising.
0: That's Patrick Shortis, a darknet market expert. And he says what it's advertising out in the open is drugs. The ad was part of a marketing blitz for a Russian darknet market called Hydra. And it isn't just any market. Hydra was the largest Russian-language darknet marketplace in the
1: world. It
0: trafficked in illegal drugs. And you may be thinking to yourself, Darknet markets, running ads on YouTube, how does that work? Aren't drug markets on the dark web supposed to be secretive? And you'd be right. That's how these markets used to work, before Hydra changed everything. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about the world of cyber and intelligence. Today, we pull back the curtain on Hydra, the biggest and longest-lived darknet market the world has ever known. It professionalized the illicit marketplace with things like codes of conduct, sophisticated distribution systems, and quality control. And it isn't an exaggeration to say that Hydra revolutionized the enterprise, making it something completely unexpected, reliable. So when authorities took its servers down last spring, it left people wondering who or what could possibly replace it. stay with us.
2: If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to record.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox.
3: Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she? And will she win? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts.
0: Hydra's claim to fame is that it worked out novel approaches to common darknet market problems, like people taking money but not delivering any drugs or getting swept up in a police sting operation. There is a lot of work right now within the Russian darknet to professionalize... That's Patrick Shortis. He's a PhD candidate at University of Manchester, and he's a criminologist studying dark markets. His area of focus has been Hydra. Yeah.
1: Um, to improve the... Uh their knowledge of what to do when a policeman starts driving down the road the other way.
0: One of the clever things Hydra's administrators have done to avoid that is set up a very creative last-mile delivery system. Dead drops have been around for a while. Hydra made it one better. Instead of having to buy some illegal drugs on the dark web and then waiting for a vendor to go out and come back and send you the dead drop address... Hydra's innovation was to pre-position things.
1: What Hydra did was the invention of auto shops or or instant instant, uh, treasures, as as it's also referred to. Um, What this means is that as a drug dealer, I can go out, I can drop deliveries of drugs all across the cities. And then I can come back and all the time I've been working, each um, location that's uploaded to the site is instantly available for sale
0: like Amazon lockers all over Moscow and St. Petersburg, that you just have to drive to and unlock. You send the money, they tell you where to go, immediately, without having to wait.
1: There are thousands and thousands of packages of drugs waiting for someone to purchase their location and pick them up.
0: Someone like this guy.
1: So hi, I'm, uh, I'm Nico Robio.
3: I'm a narcotics connoisseur.
0: Nico was traveling when we caught up to him. The internet was bad, so we made do with a cell phone connection.
3: I'm on my I'm on my phone. Not too much battery left, because you know I haven't been at the house till now.
0: Nico is kind of an expert in all things drug trade. He wrote a pretty good book a few years ago. It was called Dope World, and he used to live in Moscow. And he told us about a time when he found himself in a famous Moscow park to, well, pick up a little something from Hydra.
3: There was a couple of us. Like there was me, this girl, and these two other guys who are quite experienced in this sort of thing.
0: This sort of thing. He means buying drugs in Russia.
3: And you get the coordinates, and you also get sent these pictures with like these terribly drawn arrows in Microsoft Paint showing you where exactly like which tree or which bench or which bin or in in which uh, pipe they've hidden the, the stuff in. And then off you go.
0: Off you go on a treasure hunt.
3: So we had to ride a a tram all the way to this this park.
0: He was in Golosov Ravine. It's a park about half an hour tram ride away from the center of Moscow.
3: And I actually got to the park and it was like going up and down hills. Uh, it's got a, it's got a ravine, yeah, with a little, with a little uh, river running through it. There's a bunch of old churches as well.
0: And he and two of his compatriots are in search of a package. They're looking uh, for a particular it's, tree. It's
3: like the, 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 the package is actually buried like, un, a little bit under the tree. We're standing by, by this tree, picking up bits of dead wood around this and just digging frantically around this tree trying to find it. it. Actually took us five, ten minutes. All while this
0: girl's like standing on guard. She's watching for cops. Oh, uh, yeah, we found it in the end. It takes them about 20 minutes to unearth what they're looking for, a small package of weed carefully swaddled in cling wrap.
3: Uh, we opened it up to make sure it's the real deal, because sometimes, you know, sometimes there's a risk that, uh, that you find something, and it's actually like another package for someone else.
0: That's right. There are so many hydro drops in Moscow and St. Petersburg, and so many people hiding them that you can accidentally find the wrong thing.
3: If you're walking along a path and suddenly you see some snow tracks going in an odd direction, and if you keep doing that enough, like eventually you're gonna find something because like, this is the standard way of hiding drugs in Russia.
0: There's a whole vocabulary around this. Patrick says someone who digs up and steals drugs that don't belong to them is called a seagull, like the bird. And when I asked
1: a Russian friend You know, is this actually the word seagull? They said, yes, yes. And I was like, so why do they call them that? And he said, because like the seagull, they steal the chips from your mouth. And I was like, okay, that's
0: a good phrase. Nico, our friend in the park, says he may have been seagulled, if that can be a verb, and you might be surprised how it ended up.
3: Me and these Armenian guys uh, tried to buy some cocaine, and actually we couldn't find the cocaine. The Hydra, the dealer on Hydra, they they gave us our money back because the cocaine wasn't there. So like that goes back to your question, before, what happens if you find something that's not yours? Well, this is what happens. Me and a couple of idiots waste like 20 minutes digging around the back of a
0: parking lot. Hydra responded the way any good business would. They made Nico, the customer, happy. They got their money back. So there's a little dark web zeitgeist that Hydra has bought into, and that's the use of pirate language.
1: In Hydra, your drop is called your treasure, your clad. Uh, the person who drops it is called, your, uh, called the cladman. Um, often they are women as well, though, so it shouldn't really be such a gendered term.
0: There are master treasures, which are large stashes of drugs, and warehousemen who distribute the drugs to the cladmen. who, it turns out, can actually go to cladman school. That's a real thing.
1: It's training school for droppers or various other services.
0: The vendors on Hydra are all independent, like they are on Amazon. They pay a fee to have their shops on Hydra, and then they have to figure out how to get the goods to their customers. So they tend to hire local people, people who would naturally know where a really good hiding spot would be. And because treasures are such an integral part of what Hydra does, it trains people to do it right. They literally have training videos for drug drops.
1: They would put you through a program and teach you how to make these drops or treasures, as they call them. And then by the end of the program, you are then placed with one of the top vendor groups or or vendor networks on Hydra. Um, So you have a guaranteed job afterwards. Think of it as a career move.
0: Hydra also went next level on customer service. They don't just provide refunds. They actually guarantee quality they set up a testing service. What they do is they do a random drug buy from the site, and then they have a real chemist analyze the drugs to see if they're really what the vendor says they are. They weigh them, too, to see if a vendor is being honest or shorting his customers. And this isn't something they just do internally. They actually write these vendors in their shops up with ratings and reviews, and they kick people off the site who don't meet their standards. And if you're having some unusually bad reaction to whatever you bought from Hydra, they have a solution for that too.
1: Hydra had its own um, health service uh, where you were able to speak to a doctor um, or get general advice about safe uh, use of drugs or in an emergency. Um, it had a telegram chatbot that was used to triage uh, people to see you know, how serious the emergency
0: was. Let's see, Lakoff knows about this firsthand.
4: Uh, I talked to a doctor, a substance abuse uh, specialist uh, from Hydra, uh, but uh, he seemed like a uh, true professional to me.
0: <laughs> and it's a little funny because Letsky is a substance abuse specialist. He runs something called the Drug Map Project in St. Petersburg, Russia. And it never really occurred to him that he'd end up working side by side with administrators from Russia's largest darknet drug site.
4: When we found out about this uh, darknet marketplace, uh, we decided to contact them in order to uh, disseminate uh, some harm reduction information, uh, to disseminate uh, uh, some information on our services. uh, He got
0: in touch with Hydra admins and they worked out a deal. They said he could post information about the drug map project and harm reduction right there on the site.
4: Uh, They even promoted us a little bit.
0: Were you surprised by that?
4: Uh, At first I was surprised, (laughs) but then I uh, thought uh, a little bit more about it, and I understood that they wanted their clients to be as healthy (laughs) uh, as possible (laughs) and as long as possible.
0: (laughs) Because then they can still buy drugs.
4: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So
0: in a weird way, did Hydra actually help save some lives?
4: Uh, Yes, I believe so.
0: Just to be clear, this isn't really benevolence. This is business. So if you think about what it takes to do all that, media strategies, dead drops, cladman training, customer service, quality assurance, lawyers, doctors on staff, this isn't something that a shoestring operation would do which is exactly the point. Hydra isn't a fly-by-night shoestring operation. Successful darknet markets in the West, they pull down, if they're lucky, tens of millions in commissions and subscription fees. And Typically, they stay open for about two years before the police shut them down. Hydra? It was pulling down billions and managed to keep its virtual doors open for seven years. When we come back, Hydra expands its universe, and then the authorities finally move in and take it down, which made dark market scholars like Patrick, well, a little sad. At the time, I had just
1: actually ended a relationship, and I was speaking to my mum that evening, and she said, "Um, you know, are you okay? And I was just like, no, I'm not. And she was like, oh, you're still thinking about, you know, your ex-girlfriend. And I was just like, no, 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 I'm I'm really upset (laughs) about Hydra closing.
0: Patrick's PhD research just got a little harder. Stay with us.
5: some ways, it was probably
0: inevitable that Hydra would diversify. Why stop a drug dealing when Russian-speaking customers were clamoring to use your network to launder cryptocurrencies or buy stolen financial information and forged documents? And they were good at it. The Justice Department says 80% of all dark web market cryptocurrency transactions from last
5: year passed through Hydra. 80%. Hydra is kind of like the heart. It's like the lifeblood of these illicit networks.
0: Kim Grauer is the director of research at Chainalysis. It provides compliance and investigation software to financial institutions and governments so they can track cryptocurrency transactions. And a lot of her investigations led back to Hydra.
5: We've been tracking Hydra for years, and it is doing so much more than just selling drugs at this point. It's doing money laundering. It's involved in ransomware attacks. It's Kim said some
0: $2 billion worth of crypto was laundered by Hydra last year alone. And 2022 was looking like another banner year, as they became the launderer and mixer of choice for Russian cybercriminals and other Russian speakers trying to move big money people, say, who were paying for the upkeep of their super yachts and their mistress's apartments in Paris. So sort of like uh, the Swiss bank of uh, crypto.
5: Yeah, I, I think it's these networks are really good at moving large quantities of money for high net worth individuals in a way that doesn't attract international attention, does it in a kind of quiet way,
0: Hydra did this by building on the system they'd already created. It involves two parties agreeing to exchange something for a particular price. It could be a crypto-to-crypto trade. I'll trade you this many Bitcoin for this much Ethereum, for example. Or, not so hypothetically speaking, I'll trade you rubles for crypto or crypto for rubles. It was like a drug deal without the drugs.
5: They also don't ask a lot of questions at times about who they're who the people are that they're receiving funds from.
0: So it's exactly like a Swiss
5: bank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In a way, right? In a way, so in a way. And they do it and they, and they will take five, 10% off of uh, a fee. Uh, that's the price of not asking questions.
0: And not so coincidentally, after Russia invaded Ukraine in February, Hydro was starting to convert a lot of rubles into crypto and the other way around until this happened. <laughs>
2: Well, a major bust on the dark web. The largest and longest-running illegal marketplace in all the world is shut down.
0: In April, working with U.S. law enforcement, the German federal police office took down Hydra's servers and got some $25 million in Bitcoin. And now there's actually a name and a face connected to the marketplace. The man allegedly behind Hydra, or at least managed its servers, is Russian, 30-year-old Dmitry Pavlov. Russian police say they've arrested him, and he's in a Moscow prison now. Which begs the question, now what? Who or what is going to pick up where Hydra left off? And Nico, the guy who wrote Dope World, says Hydra won't be easily replaced. Remember, it was a billion-dollar business that involved hundreds of people working together to make things happen. And now, they've all been scattered to the wind.
3: Now there's, like, um... Three or four websites are uh, fighting, like competing between each other for the mon- for a monopoly. One of them was called like OMG, OMG, OMG. Oh my
0: God! This is from an OMG ad.
3: This is gonna take a while to get to get running. These doctors, like the doctors that they had, or neurologists, psychiatrists, whoever they had on their payroll like not, nobody really knows each other in real life so I think right. it's gonna I think <laughs> it'll, I think it'll eventually come back but it's going to take a while for all the relevant people to find each other in the in the wilds of the internet
0: this is click here Here are some of the top cyber and intelligence stories from the past week. FBI and French cyber officials have traveled to Montenegro to help mitigate a massive ransomware attack the country suffered last week. Among other things, the southern European nation's government-run transportation services and water and electricity systems have been infected. Montenegro government officials called it the most serious challenge that Montenegro has faced In cyberspace so far. Experts from the French Agency for Information System Security and the FBI's Cyber Action Team are now in country, and Montenegro officials say the hackers associated with the Cuba ransomware group used a combination of ransomware and denial-of-service attacks to freeze up government agencies and critical infrastructure. The group is thought to have some Russian members. Researchers from the University of Cambridge and the University of Edinburgh, among others, have found that the onslaught of cyber attacks experts expected to come in the aftermath of the Russian invasion of Ukraine haven't really been that bad. After analyzing global cyber attacks from the two months before and the four months after the invasion, they found that Russia was the first nation to be attacked at scale, and Ukraine was in the crosshairs of cyber attacks a few days later. The wave of attacks lasted around two weeks before they returned to their pre-war levels. The researchers said most of the attacks looked to be the work of low-level criminals doing a lot of DDoS operations. And finally, one of the NFL's most popular franchises, and my home team, the San Francisco 49ers, began sending out breach notification letters last week. They say that the BlackBite ransomware group hacked the team's systems the week before Super Bowl Sunday and snagged personal information from inside the Niners' operation. And they may have compromised information from a handful of fans, too. The breach lasted six days. Where's Joe Montana? When you need him. Click Here is a production of the record by Recorded Future. I'm Dina raston your host, writer, and executive producer. Sean Powers is our senior producer and marketing director, and Will Jarvis is our producer and helps with the writing. Karen Duffin and Lou Olkowski are our editors, Darren Ankrum is our fact checker, and Ben Lovingston composes our original music, and other music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Kendra Hanna is our intern. And very special thanks to you all. Click Here is now one of the top three tech news podcasts in America. And we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcasts. And you can connect with us at com. We'll be back on Tuesday.
2: Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to therecord.media.